You're listening to TOSE, The Other Side Enterprise, where we are committed to bringing you to the other side, taking you from dreams to possibilities and on to reality. Listen in on talks for business and life coaching starting right now with your host, Tiffany Rufino. Hey, Other Siders. Welcome back to our show. I am your host, Tiffany Rufino, and I'd like to introduce the reservoir to my dogs, Mr. Rufino. I think I'd like to be Mr. Pink. You today. can absolutely be Mr. Pink today. Because I heard somewhere that real men wear pink. They do. They wear all colors. All right. Excellent. I'm on it. Awesome. Well, welcome to our show. Thank you to our regular loyal listeners for coming back. And thank you to anybody who is hearing us for the first time. Our new listeners, we appreciate you and we love for you to stick around. So thank you for joining us. Yeah, we definitely appreciate everybody's support. And we're actually really super close to a thousand downloads at this point, which means that some really cool things are going to follow that. Yeah, we have some announcements coming. We're going to we're probably not going to say anything until it happens. But I give it about a week to start seeing and hearing and noticing different changes. Yeah. Yeah. Very exciting stuff. Yeah. So thank you for helping us uh, get so close to our goal. I think we're going to nail it this week. And. I got inspired for this podcast yesterday, actually. And you and I have been watching The Last Dance, the basketball series on ESPN, where they're kind of documenting the Bulls and uh, Jordan's successes and things like that in basketball. Not to date ourselves, but like... We were born from the 1900s. Yeah, Yeah, that actually (laughs) took us back. And I mean, the nostalgia was, was strong. Yeah, even with, you know, just the style and uh, the wording and just remembering the moments and things like that. I grew up being uh, very into basketball and I even brought out my binder of basketball cards as we're watching. I'm like, oh, wait, I have his card. I have his card. So it was fun. And um, as we wait for the next episode to air, I found a documentary on Netflix called The Carter Effect. And it's about Vince Carter and... Uh, you know, I, I started to look up his information. I remember uh, Vince Carter a little bit as I watched basketball back in the day, but I wasn't, not that I wasn't a fan. I just didn't pay attention to him because he wasn't on my team and had nothing to do with me. So, mm-hmm. you know, uh, and I think by the time he got into basketball, I was kind of fading out of basketball at that point. Yeah, he was. He was like the, the 97, 98. Yeah, he was part of the class as Jordan was passing the torch. Yeah, absolutely. And the so I'm going to share a little bit. I'm going to recap a little bit about the Carter effect and uh, very briefly go over uh, some of the details about Vince Carter that stood out to me. And then we're going to relate it to uh, leadership and just even individuals that aren't in leadership. I think this is going to be a little bit global here. Um, so with Vince Carter, he was born and raised in Daytona beach and he went to mainland high school, which I thought was really cool. I didn't even, I mean, I know that we have a lot of buildings here dedicated to Vince Carter. I know that he was involved in restaurants and things like that later in his career. But like I said, I didn't know much about him. And when he got drafted, um, in the NBA drafts out of college, he was drafted to one team originally and, 
you know, they passed him the the hat, you know, that had the team name on it. And as he's walking away from David Stern, who was the uh, basketball commissioner at the time, he David Stern told him, uh, stay up here. A, a trade's about to happen. And so I believe initially he was supposed to go to the Golden State Warriors. And uh, the Warriors wanted to trade him for another player. So they did a swap. And Vince Carter ended up going to the Toronto Raptors. Now, this was Canada's first basketball team ever. So Canadians had no idea really about the American traditions with basketball. And it was cute to watch um, because, you know, normally when you have your home team play against an away team and someone gets fouled, they go up to the free throw line and they get to go up and take shots without anybody blocking them. And now while they're facing the basketball hoop, they can see the crowd behind there. So this Canadian crowd has, you know, no real introduction to the game as far as how Americans are used to their traditions and, you know, loving on the team. So initially what you're supposed to do is that if it's the away team that's going to shoot these free throws, um, you're supposed to like hold up something to distract them so that it, you know, it throws them off and they don't get these awesome points. Right. Well, they were doing it for their home team because they thought they were cheering them on. And so, you know, it's like, really they, it's all new culture for them, uh, bringing an NBA team there. And even the jerseys they talk about in the episode that, you know, it almost looked like they had Barney on their jerseys and, you know, they were clowned a little bit because they were a newer team and, you know, everything wasn't all put together yet. You know, the team was still working together. But Vince Carter was somebody that was presented himself respectably. He had enormous talent. He was, uh, you know, an amazing slam dunk champion. He was the rookie of the year. He just won all these accolades, right? And he didn't get a big ego because of it or anything like that. He was just, uh, he he brought passion to the game. And he stayed with the Raptors for a while, even after um, one of his best friends left the team. You know, he had a hard time with his best friend leaving the team because his best friend at the time made that decision for himself. And, you know, Vince had said, I guess he was interviewed right after that decision had been made. And, uh, you know, he said, well, I had to sleep on it. He said, I'm in a better place now. And he just admitted it was it was more emotions. Right. And, you know, people have to do what's best for themselves at that time. And so moving forward, uh, Vince helped establish the popularity of the game and really bring it to life in Toronto and really also cultivate this new culture in Toronto where he built nightclubs and went 50 50 with a partner on these nightclubs so that when people did come to the games from, you know, other teams that they had a place to go and hang out and, you know, everybody could just hang out and, and it didn't matter who was a star or who wasn't. It was just bringing Toronto back to life. And, uh, you know, again, with the culture, with the sneakers, you know, he was like part of all different brand names because he wasn't sure which one he wanted to stick to. He was just like, I just want to be a part of everything. I just love life. That's what it is. And in 2004, it came about that the team decided to trade him for another player. I think they were looking to just uh, energize the team and bring in some new life and keep the game alive in Toronto because it was 
fairly new still at that point in time. However, six years he was dedicated there. I mean, you think about um, what's I know people are going to start throwing like hate mail at me for even mentioning Tom Brady going to, (laughs) you know, Florida now and he's going to be in Tampa. You know, there's a loyalty that people feel that is lost when a player changes teams or roles or locations, whatever it is. And so he especially like if it's like a rival team. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And so he ended up getting traded to the Nets. Now, this was not Carter's choice, but he did decide to go along with it. He could have, you know, said, I'm not playing anymore whatever. But, you know, he got traded to the Nets and he played for the Nets. And what happened was his first game back as an away player in Toronto, he got booed so bad from a full stadium that it just roared on the TV when you played it. And I felt my my I felt my emotions get all tangled up. Like I just felt my heart break for him because you see him and you see him trying to just ignore that that's happening and just, uh, you know, high five the players as they announced that Vince Carter was there, but he's part of the Nets. And, you know, to see this stadium full of all these people that booed him. And I, I'm thinking he helped bring it alive there and you you're standing there and you're hating on him and you don't even know the full story as to why he's not there anymore and you have so much anger for somebody that you probably never even shook hands with like where is this coming from and it made me think about times in my life where by no means have I had a stadium boo me or, you know, uh, and I hope that never happens in our lives. <laughs> but, you know, I've experienced where the people that I felt uh, were close to me at the time didn't support a decision that I made in my life. And, you know, that felt just as passionate to me, you know, their negativity that I felt when I watched him get booed. On, on that floor because of the value that I had in the people in my life at the time. Like, for instance, when I made the move from New York to Florida, that wasn't a easy decision to make. And I had, you know, a lot of my friends try to tell me not to. And, you know, they didn't dis- support the decision. I did have friends that did. But for the most part, a lot of people were trying to talk me out of it. Um, I think about times where I've changed jobs or I've changed positions and the teams that I was with. Uh, were upset that I was leaving. And I could understand them being upset about me leaving. Um, But there's still like a heartache that's there. And, you know, it made me want to talk about on this podcast where that comes from and just like the different things that you don't think about during that time. So the first thing that comes to mind for me is whenever I'm feeling an emotion like that, I, I think about, okay, when has it happened to me that's causing me to have that reaction, right? So I know that I've had moments where my favorite leader or boss has been transferred or moved or stepped out of the role. And to me, it's it felt like a smack in the face, like it just happened instantly. And I had no preparation for it. Whereas knowing now how business works and operates, usually that's been in place for a while. Right. There's been either conversations about that leader wanting to move, wanting to have a better work life balance. And it's not their job to influence their employees or their team with the problems or the situations that are going on because they don't want to distract from the bigger picture at hand. Mm -hmm. So knowing that now 
I usually didn't have all the information that I needed to make me feel comfortable with their decision. But at the end of the day, it's not their role to make me comfortable with their decision. That's their decision that they had to make for their lifestyle. Um, However, sometimes it happens where the decision is made for you or for them rather. And that's when it also feels like wait a minute, why didn't I get a say? You may feel this way about their performance, but to me, this person is everything. They're my mentor. They're my leader. They've been doing X, Y, Z for me. Like, no, like I want to say in what you're going to do to this person, but I also still don't have all the information at that point in time to justify whether or not somebody stays, especially if I am an employee of theirs versus their leader where I can do a performance report. I think one of the things that keeps coming up with this while we're while you're going through um, your your thought is having all the information. And I like to think of how employees view the actions of people above them and um, in the org chart or, or a company in general as like what perspective do they have? Right. So when you have a an entry level role or a frontline role where you're usually directly directly uh, interacting with customers you see the customer interaction you see that right in front of you you 100 percent know how to interact with customers you do it all day as far as what's happening behind you you see that through a pinhole because you know the interactions that you have and the ones that you see at arm's length and everything else you may hear about, but you weren't there to see it. You're not. Uh, sometimes it's not information that's freely given to you for whatever reason, and that might be on purpose. Um, as you go through the org chart of a company, the higher you go, the bigger that pinhole gets. So you normally see people way up high that'll see a decision and they may, if it's like a really something that is resonating, say negatively, they might be a little shaken by it, but they understand it more because they see so much around it. Um, whereas, again, when you're in the front lines, you may not see everything that goes into why one person was transferred from one place to another or why a policy changed, et cetera, et cetera. Right. And I think of when I've been in an entry level role, um, my my behavior was that I had to have a connection with people that I worked with. I needed that sort of, um, you know, common grounds with people. It was just, a, I'm a relationship builder. I'm a team builder. That's just in my nature, right? And so I instantly form a bond connection with people. And when I would find that person was gone the next day, that's when I feel like almost brokenhearted, you know, like we had a relationship, we broke up, what just happened? Like, why didn't I know who was, you know, whatever. Um, And I think that's why I would take it so hard because then I would look at employees around me and they're all just like, well, same stuff, different day, you know, like mm-hmm. just they just come and go, come and go, especially people who have been there longer. They're just used to the change. But as an entry level associate, I'm I wasn't used to any of that. You know, this is all new and I'm very um, big on observing human behavior and things like that. So I'm like, 
why aren't you reacting? Okay, if you're not panicking, maybe I shouldn't panic either. But maybe you're the type that doesn't panic when the building's burning down and I need to run for the exit. And, you know, this is where I step up and I be the leader and you be the follower because you don't know you don't know what's going on. You know, does that make sense? Yeah, I work for a company where there was a specific leadership role that had a revolving door. People would not last long in it. It would be six months to a year and they'd be gone. And I remember the first time that somebody was there that my team had built a relationship with. When they left, we we were like, what what just happened? The second time we were like, eh, you know, by the third, fourth and fifth time. We were getting ready for the new person before the old person was even gone. Mm. And we didn't know why it was happening. Yeah, we didn't. But the the apathy started building in to where when, the, you know, when you're a new person in leadership and you get to a you, you get to uh, inherit a new team and you look at them and you're like, oh, yeah, we're going to do some. I'm going to be the one that makes a difference, we're, we're you know? Yeah. Things. And yeah. By the third, fourth and fifth person, we would look at this person like, OK, dude. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> what well, makes you different? You, I've heard this before. Right, right. You're going to be gone in six months. Right, <laughs> like, absolutely. Either you're going to go. And, and in our case, it was that position seemed to be like a stepping stone position. Somebody would come uh, in and six months to a year later, they would move on to another department. They would move on to a new role. They would move on to bigger and better things, which is great. But you're not doing any of the things that you said you were going to do here right obviously because you're somewhere else right so we didn't even take it hard anymore it was just like okay well that there's another one right revolve the door don't even bother ordering business cards like it's just a waste (laughs) of money at this time but you know that's why employees and teams have such a hard time with change because or uh, adapting to change because all right you're here for six months I know you're going to be gone because you're the fourth one in this role in a span of a year. Let's see what's going. Well, six months, year, whatever, two years. (laughs) (laughs) I have to work out the timing on that. Um, Whatever the case may be, it's a revolving door. So I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing until somebody's going to stay here a little bit longer or tell me that I'm doing it wrong. But anyway, the, the point of this piece is that, you know, I think about people that give their all in a role where they have a team beside them. Maybe they are somebody that uh, gets the most results out of their role and they've mentored their coworkers, right? Or maybe it is somebody that's a leader that took over a team that was just down in the dumps and not because they didn't have the talent, it's just they didn't have the inspiration, right? And this leader was able to give that to them and be their inspiration and motivation or whatever the case may be. Or there's always that leader that rallies and gives their all, their time, their blood, their sweat, their tears, their money, like whatever it takes, that person is there for, you know, dozens or hundreds of people and the minute something goes a little screwy, just little, just a minor tweak in the plan that everybody expected, all of a sudden the booze from the crowd come. Yeah. Right? And so that's what happened with Vince Carter. Nobody took the time to understand that it wasn't his choice to go to Jersey and the and the Nets. He was happy where he was. He had bought land there. He invested in restaurants there. Like it didn't make sense for him to leave Toronto at the time financially or, you know, work life balance wise. But this is business. This is what happened. 
and he comes back to play and it's not like yay we still have another season we still have this going on in our community it's boo and you know all this stuff and i think about you know when you are a leader you get the boos and you don't get the yays a lot of the time Mm -hmm. and because your team deserves the yay they're the ones that are definitely supporting the mission that you're on with them and if they're getting the results that you were looking for and they're positive results it's because your message went to them clearly but they executed on the delivery on that but if things go wrong as a leader with your team that's on you because you own all of that and there was nothing that went wrong with toronto and vince carter the only thing that went wrong is that he wasn't there anymore And so they started like defacing his jersey and saying negative things on the news and just like really poor sportsmanship at that time. And I have been in roles where I've had to communicate difficult information or make a difficult decision or, you know, unfortunately part ways with an employee that we've had or an employee decided to part ways with me. And unfortunately, it gets a little bit easier um, to do it because you prepare and you communicate, right? And so you make sure you have that open communication with your team and your employee tells you, hey, six months down the line, I already have a plan that I'm going to be moving out of state and I'm no longer going to be working for you. Okay, great. So we have this communication. How can I help you? And that changes the result, right? Because they set the intention. Now we could plan for it. And then you have the person that unfortunately has bad behavior and you've been coaching and mentoring and working with them and they choose not to change their behavior and in turn you have to separate employment with them right and it still hurts because you've put in all this energy you've put in all the the things that you could to help this person grow but in the at the end of the day they chose not to so my question would become and and i'm going on the same basketball analogy Mm mm-hmm where Vince Carter left when he comes back to play. Vince Carter got traded. Well, he yeah. did not leave. So he, uh-huh. he he got traded. And when he came back to um, to play, he gets booed. But there are some players out there that will leave their team, go somewhere else. And when they come back, they're still cheered. They're like celebrated for they're coming celebrated, back. celebrated, yeah. So who would you give an example of of that? Um, I would say, I mean, Jordan is one. Yeah. Okay. So let's let's keep that as an example. And so my question then becomes, what what can you do to bring yourself from the booze to the cheers, or what's the difference between those? And I don't want to go too much into like the basketball aspect of mm-hmm. it because that's not the point of this. Mm-hmm. But as far as taking that analogy into company life and your organization and your um, inter-organization relationships and communication, how do you get to that point where you can make a decision and maybe you don't get cheered, but you don't get booed? I think I'm still going to have to bring it back to the basketball piece for the examples and then we can relate it to leadership. So with Jordan, he retired at first, didn't he? Yeah. So he didn't go to another basketball team. He actually went to another sport altogether. (laughs) (laughs) Golf and baseball. Right. And then he came back to basketball and he came back to the same team. Yeah. But then he also, then after that, he left. And I know we're watching the, uh, that show where, um, 
The Last Dance where it was the front office's decision that Phil Jackson had to go and therefore Jordan said, well, I have to go. Mm-hmm. And he ended up on the Wizards. But anytime he goes to Chicago, there's cheers. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. And I think that has to do with the length of time that he was there. Mm-hmm all he accomplished for when he was there. I think his loyalty to his coach was huge. And the way that he always spoke at press conferences and the way that he spoke to people, he was always uh, professional, Um, you know, behind the scenes when he's in games and things like that. It's a different story. You know, he's a leadership and, and like the team captain there. So very intense, very intense, but he expects perfection and that's, you know, what they wanted to deliver on. I think because they set the standards and the length of time that he was there from, you know, when he was first a rookie to, you know, his legacy, uh, he had established enough where they were like, you know what, you deserve a break. Go retire, go do your thing, and then come back to us if you want to, right? And that's what he's that's what he did. Um, with Vince, I think it took time for basketball to catch on. So by the time it was catching on in Toronto, you in Toronto, yeah. yeah. And so by the time it was catching on in Toronto, and basketball was becoming a thing, he was at the peak of his career just about when he got traded because he had only been there about six years. So if you figure it takes about three years for everybody to catch on and even want to buy the sneakers and the jerseys and everything else. Now they're actually going to the games. Three years flies by. And then all of a sudden you're going to another team. Not that you're retiring, but you're our top star. You are the reason why people are coming here and you're leaving us because they don't have an idea of what's going on behind the scenes. Right. So I think there's a, a betrayal that they feel that has happened there. Just kind of like what I was sharing, you know, as an employee, when you have a favorite manager and all of a sudden they're gone and you're like, what do you mean you moved? What do you mean you transferred? And you may have joined the organization, you know, in the middle of the planning for all that, but you built such a connection that it feels personal at that time. Like you're the one that taught me all these things. You can't go. I can't I can't live without you, you know, come back. (laughs) Um, So I think that's how they kind of felt like. If, if I had to speak a, a, about a crowd of 50,000 and just guess, I think maybe they felt, you know, it was, we just got this going and now you're going to go. Why? You wanted more money. You wanted to go back to the United States. Mm-hmm. There's a sort of uh, perception that happens there. And Vince Carter didn't speak to any problems that were happening behind the scenes. He kept it very professional. He didn't speak to if there was any issues going on with management or with the team or what the trade was about. He was just like, you know, I'm, I'll be with the New Jersey Nets. I'm I'm excited to be with them. And, and that's what it was, right? And years later, he came back and it was probably his 20th anniversary, I think, of playing uh, basketball. And he's still playing right now, by the way. He's with the Hawks. I don't know if you knew that. But uh, it was... He was at the uh, Toronto Raptors game and he was playing as an opponent. And because it was the anniversary, Toronto did a montage of all his like historic moments in the game. And when he was first announced, he got booed again. And you'd think like, gosh, Toronto, like give the guy a break, right? <laughs> How angry are you? Like you were seven when you first saw him, and now you're like seventeen or twenty-seven. Now you're upset, and so um, they were booing. But once the lights went out, and you have the big screens in the middle of the court, up on the ceiling, and you see all the amazing things that he did in such a short period of time with this team, the boos started to turn into cheers. Then the cheers started to turn into standing ovation. 
then the montage is playing and the lights go up so Vince can see the crowd change and now they're appreciating him. It's like they had forgotten everything that was good up until that point and the only thing that remained was the legacy of him leaving. A lot to unpack there and that's very powerful. But I want to I want to go back. It was more powerful to see him cry because it was almost like he felt redeemed, but he was humble. And all he did was just kept saying thank you and thank you and walking and waving to the crowd and thank you. But you see the tears Mm -hmm. streaming down his face. And of course, I'm sitting there like sobbing. Like, I understand (laughs) how the six foot six man feels, you know, but. (laughs) So what I'm hearing and and if we're going to keep this example, I want to kind of apply it. The couple of things that I've heard is that first there's a track record. So Jordan won three championships when when he first retired. He had six when he left. And so you have that track record of, oh, you brought us all this stuff, right? And he was always consistent with going back to the same team. Yeah. Until the very, very end. But the but the track record was there. Mm-hmm. So you so starting off with the reputation and in a in a city like you're in a place where there's a, a history right, right. Of, of a long, right. long team. The second thing I'm hearing is communication. So at you know, if you if you watch this, uh, the last dance, you know that the that the very beginning of the '98 season, Jordan said, "If Phil Jackson's not here, I'm gone." Yeah, he said that in every interview. So if you're a Bulls fan, it was you, no surprise. Yeah, you know he's leaving. Yeah, there's there's no surprise because there. Phil be... was told that he's not playing the yeah. next season. So you so you either you may not be happy about it, but you know it's coming. At, you have 82 games to prepare. And plus the playoffs. And then the third thing that I hear from this is kind of like the um, the time heals all wounds kind of thing. So, you know, Carter was away and then he comes back for his 20th anniversary and you you have a kind of like a, an opportunity to reminisce on the on the good old times. So I don't think that's time heals all wounds because in between those times he's still coming back for games. Mm-hmm. And so he's been there in between the time where he got traded to when his important anniversary happened and he was booed all those times. So I don't think it's the time healed all wounds. I think it you was think it's the perspective switch. I think the perspective switched when they got to see and remember all the great things he did and there was really no reason to be pissed off at him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. So seeing all the highlights of somebody and it's very easy for people to harp on the negative or something that's perceived as a negative to them. He Vince Carter left Toronto. Vince Carter left that family of three, that family of four that would go to the games to go see him that they bonded over. Like it was personal for them. And, um, when they watched back all those highlights and great moments, it got to overwrite the negative response. Okay. So to circle back and I'll let you kind of break these down. The reputation, the legacy, right? If we can bring that to a company, how can we apply that? I think that the company's direction in, I would have to understand where the company came from and where they're going to Mm -hmm. and who on their team are they concerned about not, um, I guess, being the boo versus the cheer. 
And I don't mean boo like my boo. I mean boo like boo. <laughs> uh, so there's a little bit of understanding that I would still need to have. And it, it starts at the leadership level and the leadership understanding, okay, how are your people feeling right now? And how does that fit in with the culture that you created? And is it the culture that needs to change? Or is it that communication needs to change and actions will speak louder than words? Um, and it may just be, you know, hey, let's let's visit with the people that are on the front lines that are, you know, it, customer facing. Let's sit down with a couple of them, have a focus group. I mean, you see it all the time in movies, even in office space, like even though it was a silly movie, they still sat down and brought in consultants and said, you know, we want you to be the middleman and find out how our people feel about our organization and our company and get direct feedback without any retaliation. And so, again, just like I shared before, if you're a leader and things aren't going right, that's on you. Right. And if your people can't communicate that to you and they need a middleman to feel safe, well, that's that's number one. Your team doesn't feel safe with you. Uh, number two is when you get that feedback, however you choose to do it, whether it's bringing in a consultant or having like them send anonymous feedback through an email or website or like a survey or something like that, then you got to take the or feedback. Or just sitting down with people, right? Let them know if that they're open to. Let them know that you're approachable and this is a safe place and mm -hmm. you can just, just tell me. Just give it to me all, yeah. right? Uh, but you have to be in a... Uh, mindset that you're not going to just do it for show that you are planning on delivering on results. And I think that's the only way you as a organization or as an entrepreneur or as a person starting to build a team is that you have to deliver on what you're promising. So I could sit there and all, all day and listen to everybody gripe and complain and it could become this whole big negative avalanche that happens in the room because once somebody brings up something negative, everybody jumps on, right? Um, but if I don't do anything after that conversation and the things that I do have nothing to do with what we talked about and I end up doing my own thing anyway and it looks like it's at the detriment to different groups, then I'm never going to rebuild. The first thing that you have to get is trust and you get that with communication and you get that with behavior that immediately follows that communication. And that's a good segue because so the the challenge that sometimes the organizations have is that there are decisions that they make in the background um, or in some cases there are things that are coming down the pipe, right? Mm -hmm. So you could be in an organization that has a new product launching. Um, in the restaurant business, uh, you could say, oh, we have a new menu coming out. In tech, it would be a new product, a new computer, a new whatever. And you may not be able to tell your employees that because you don't want it to get out. Or, you, you know, there's there's certain things, a way that you communicate that down. Mm -hmm. Similarly, personnel decisions, things like, hey, here's a an area manager or here's a district leader or whatever that is not performing and we know we're going to end up having to let them go. That's not really something where you're going to go up to people who report to them and say, hey, you know, Mary over there is not performing up to snuff. Mm -hmm. right? But I think that goes back to um, the relationship and the reputation that they had prior. 
So if it's always Mary's not up to it, but that's happening consistently, like every three months with a role that's big enough to lead a team, then you got to look at, well, wait a minute, what's wrong with you? Like how, what's your interview look like? Why are you not able to retain all the Marys that you've hired, you know, or, or something along those lines. I think there's different root causes that you could look into. There's also the idea of building goodwill in other places so that by the time you do have to make a difficult decision, you have enough of people around you saying, you know what, I can give this place the benefit of the doubt. Um, They usually have my back. They usually do the right thing. And in this particular case, I can, I'm pretty sure that they're making the right decision. I just don't know why. It takes a lot of goodwill to generate that response. Mm-hmm. But it, but it's not going to come in. You, you're not going to go to your, uh, your employees and just tell them all the secrets that are not in their scope. Right, because sometimes you don't need to stress them out with everything that's coming down because things change every mm-hmm. second, right? So what you may have thought you were going to do all of a sudden we took a different road right but i think about um i'm gonna i'm gonna use just a makeup name right abc pen company this is a company that creates pens right and the they're great to their people and they do uh great communication and they have great products and they have brand loyalty and abc pens makes the best pens that everybody wants for their business yada 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 until All of a sudden, they come out with a brand new package of pens, right? And nobody was aware of how they were going to market these pens, but they knew the pens were coming out. And so they have the pens, they put them on the website, and they say, this is the most feminine pen that you could have. It's geared for women. Now, there's nothing different about this pen other than there might be a couple of added colors to the package. But now the backlash is from the customers, who have trusted this company and now the company is making this pen gender specific, right? And it's kind of uh, ridiculous to market a regular pen now to women and they're calling it like the feminine pen for the feminine woman. And really like this is a a true story. I'm just not going to throw the name of the company out there, but then the reviews come by the thousands because now it's become a big joke and people are just like, you know, harping on that harping until they pull the product. And now there was nothing wrong with the product. It was just how it was uh, marketed. And so now you have people at the company that are like sitting there looking at each other, like, you know, sideways like did this really just happen with what's going on here and you get blindsided by the marketing portion of it not necessarily the product and it's not even anything that affected the team it was just how they went about it and that's happened across the board in many different ways you know like i think about clothing that's you know certain dresses and they're the patterns of the dress are in the wrong location on the dress so it draws the eye to the wrong spots or maybe the right spots depending on who you are but it just you know, was not intended. And so there's like mishaps. And then you're the person on the front end that's communicating with the customer. And you're having to take the backlash without any preparation for this. Um, I've always judged companies. And I think I've said this before. I've always judged companies that I that I have relationships with, not by how what happens when everything's going great. Because everybody's awesome 
everybody's a really nice person when everything's going great. Everybody's making money. I'm getting all the product I need, yada, yada, yada. I always judge companies by what happens when stuff goes sideways because nobody's perfect. And I don't get mad at a company when the initial sideways stuff happens. Um, I start to get frustrated when the reaction to that isn't something where you're taking ownership of it and kind of committing to fixing it. So when you say company and you get frustrated at them and uh, not getting a commitment to fix it, is it the president of the company? Is it your direct leader? Is it the company as a whole, as far as shareholders or just the brand name? Like, how do you define that? And so for, for this example, I'm I'm referring to myself as a customer. Mm-hmm. So when it's a company that um, that I'm doing business with and I'm purchasing stuff from, to use the the uh, the pen company as an example, very easy fix for that. I'm sorry, mm-hmm. and not I'm sorry from the person in the front line that's that's doing one to one, and I'm sorry from the company as a whole, whether it's the face of the company, the marketing department, whoever. That's a one to many. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm sorry to our customers. We missed the mark on this one. We're gonna do better. Mm-hmm. That goes such a long way, mm-hmm. and. It's similar in a company, like if I'm working for a company and they make a mistake and it affects me negatively, I'm sorry. Hey, we recognize that this affected you negatively. Here's how we're going to fix it and then follow through. Mm-hmm. You do that, you, you're going to have goodwill from me. Ten times out of you 10. always want to take more of a positive route. And I think about and I know uh, she's a listener. So she, hopefully she smiles when I tell this story and kind of keep it uh, anonymous. But uh, one of the first times that I met with her, she, she was rightfully upset because there was a customer that had come to her place of business and the customer wasn't happy with the service they received. So uh, they did everything that they could in their power to make it right for that customer. And still, uh, even after they went above and beyond, uh, you know, the entire place did for this customer, the customer went into a city Facebook page and blasted this place of business um, with all these negative things. Right. And so I was sitting with this business leader and uh, she was rightfully upset because she, you know, it's her team that this person is talking ill of and she knows the other side of it and what they did. But customers, when they go out and they give reviews and that's how they felt, they're going to put it out there and people will either support it or they'll ignore it or they'll, they'll, you know, bash it, whatever it is. And so I'm listening to her and I'm like, okay, so how many people have posted on this? And she's like, lots of people, but not everybody's really saying a lot of negative things. A lot of people are just like, oh, I can't believe that happened. I'm so sorry. Or they've never experienced us. And she said, and I just worry about how that's going to be for our, our reputation. And so I, uh, I told her, go ahead and post on that post and say, anybody that brings in a printed page of this post will receive X amount percent off their service. So we could prove this post wrong. So basically bring in a copy of this post saying how terrible we are. And I'll give you 20% off to try us to let you know, it's not correct that this is complete opposite of what we do here and take it and turn it into a positive moment because you're willing to put 
everything out there because you trust in your team and you trust in your people and you know, you know what you did to make it right, but you're not going in and bashing that person and saying, I'm sorry you feel that way, but I know that we did X, da, 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 da. It's mm-hmm. everybody on here. The classic hey. Yelp response. Yeah. Yeah. Just come on in and b- come and see how, uh, you know, if we are that terrible or if we're not. And, and hearing it that way and flipping it that way definitely changed her mindset. And I think her and I had a great moment of bonding there of like, you know, us working together is going to be a great thing because we could do great things together. And uh, that everything doesn't always have to be a negative that you could always put a positive on it and have fun with it. You know, I want to see, I think about the greatest showman. That's where I came up with it, you know, and one of my favorite movies and Hugh Jackman got um, his character was getting bad newspaper reviews about his circus and he said, you know, anybody that brings this in gets 10% off a ticket. And I was just like, brilliant, brilliant. Bring them all in because then they're not circulating around, right? And you just shut it all down. So there's a lot in all of this. Ultimately, I think Vince Carter got redeemed. Uh, that's what he shared in his story. That's what his mother shared in that story. And that's what you get to see. And, and I'm thankful that he had that moment based on all he's done for the game and for the sport and for, you know, Florida and for Toronto and for where he's been in his career as he still plays. I have a newfound respect for him learning about him. I love learning about people and different things I didn't know. And, uh, you know, I think for our listeners out there, there's a couple of things to drive home, right? Is that when you do get upset in business, no matter what your role is, do you have the full story in order to support what's making you upset, um, you know, what's the reputation? Does that match your reaction to what has happened based on what you know of the reputation of either the person that you work with or that you work for or the company that you work for? And, you know, what are you going to do about it? And I think that goes back to one of our other podcasts is that, okay, you know, you have your moment where you're upset or you don't agree with something, but how long are you going to let that go on? Because sometimes that's just built up resentment from other things. And this just happens to be the cherry on top that lets you have an outlet to let it out. So your homework, other siders, should you choose to accept it, is to think about what do you have going on right now that's causing you to be upset that doesn't directly affect you? And why do you think those feelings are coming up? And then what are you going to do about it? So I'd love to hear your feedback at info at the other side, enterprise.com. Or you can hit me up on Facebook messenger, Tiffany Rufino. And I'm also on Instagram, the official, uh, the official T Rufino. Um, I'd love to hear your thoughts and until then stay safe, stay healthy, and we'll see you on the other side. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to subscribe and share. We'll see you next time on the other side enterprise.